Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I'm delighted to share this series is in partnership with Heck. Being an independent and family-owned business, they pull out all the stops to bring that farmer's market quality to the supermarket shelf. If you love a fry-up and you're doing meat-free Mondays, they're not complete without a top-quality vegan sausage. Heck's new vegan breakfast sausage is the perfect showstopper in any vegan fry-up. Containing mushroom, tomato, carrot, parsley and sage, they're the perfect start to the day. And with most of us not getting our recommended 30 grams of fibre per day, with 3 grams of fibre per sausage, they will give you a great head start. You can find Hex Vegan Breakfast Sausages online at hexfood.co.uk and in the major supermarkets too. Hello and thank you so much for tuning in to Food for Thought, a podcast on a mission to equip you with all the evidence-based advice you need to live and breathe a healthy lifestyle. I'm Rhiannon Lambert, registered nutritionist, founder of Retrition, London's leading private nutrition clinic and author of Renourish and Top of Your Game. In each episode, I'll be joined by special guests, all of whom can be considered authoritative voices in health, so that together we can learn fact from fiction and empower the healthiest and happiest versions of ourselves with trusted expert advice. Our planet is in a state of crisis. Global warming is sending temperatures soaring to record highs and ice is melting at an increasingly alarming rate. Ocean levels rose by 8 inches in the last century, putting small islands at risk of being completely wiped out. Natural disasters are intensifying and whole species are at a risk of extinction. What's scary is that the world's population is still growing and set to reach 9.8% billion by 2050, meaning there will be more lives to sustain than ever before. So joining me to discuss the impacts of climate change and whether there's still hope for our planet is UCL geography professor Mark Maslin, who features in David Attenborough's climate change documentary. Hello, Professor Maslin. Hello, how are you? Thank you for asking. I'm extremely well. I'm a bit nervous, if I'm being honest, about what we're going to hear on today's podcast. So thank you for coming on. I think with such alarming consequences to contend with, the big question is, can we actually save our planet? 
Well, I think the most important thing is, of course we can. And I think that's where we have to start. We have to start with that optimism. Because if you think about it, we are a unique species. Humanity is able to understand the world around us. Mm -hmm. We understand the consequences of our actions. And we can even predict what we're going to have, uh, the effect on the planet in the next 100 years. Okay. Given that, it means that we can see what we're doing and therefore correct it if we want to do so. Mm, I mean, so global warming, for instance, has been accelerating for decades and has put the future of our planet in jeopardy. But how have we ended up then with this this knowledge in this this position at the moment? So the big shift happened after the Second World War when the Allies got together and they reformulated the whole of the world economy to make sure that the economy would grow, countries would develop. Mm. And by doing that, we moved from a coal-based economy to an oil-based economy. And that acceleration, you have to remember, the population of the world has doubled since the 1950s. Our consumption has increased a hundredfold. And therefore, we are actually using more and more energy, producing more and more fossil fuel uh, emissions, and that's actually warming the planet. And we haven't seen anything like this, have we, throughout the history of our planet? So we haven't seen temperatures this warm while humans have been on the planet, which is about 200,000 years. When you look back in the fossil record, we have to go back about three and a half to four million years to see temperatures that were on average, the same as today uh, for a long period of time. Gosh, because there are some scientists I know that are probably still in the school of thought that global warming isn't happening. Actually, there are no real scientists who deny climate change. So what you find is most of that denial is from people that have particular political views or are paid for or are lobbying for particular companies Mm. or particular vested interests. So the consensus is, um, I would say, about 100% within the scientific community. And you can see that through the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change reports. Now, I know that's a big mouthful, but but every six to seven years, the science community gets together around the world and collates all the latest information on climate change for the UN. This report is then given to the UN. The countries then sign off on the executive summary. So that's 192 countries, including the USA, Russia, Kazakhstan and Saudi Arabia, Mm. all go through it in detail and sign off on the science. And we have had five of these major reports. And that shows you the weight of evidence we have for climate change. Gosh. And I think for everyone listening, could you explain and break it down to what global warming actually is? So almost all the energy we have on Earth comes from the sun. Mm -hmm. And as we know, the sun's energy is mainly light. There's a bit of infrared, uh, i.e. heat, and there's a bit of ultraviolet. Now, most of that energy passes through the atmosphere as if it's not there. Luckily, ozone in the upper atmosphere absorbs some of that ultraviolet radiation, which is great because that stops us getting skin cancer and also protects our DNA. Because again, life couldn't evolve on Earth if we hadn't got that protection. Mm. But most of the energy goes through and then it hits the Earth. Now, about a third of it bounces straight back into space. So if you think white clouds, snow and ice, it just reflects straight back into space. Mm. Remember, when you're skiing, you have to have sunglasses on because of that glare. So we lose about a third of that energy straight back. And then the other two thirds transfers to heat. Just imagine lying in Bahamas and a nice, beautiful beach. 
the sun hits you and you feel hot. And that's the light converting to heat in your skin. Uh Now, that heat radiates back on the earth. And normally, all of that heat would be lost. And it has uh, a period of time where it gets caught by greenhouse gases. So these include water vapour, which is the most important. Yeah. Carbon dioxide, methane, nitrous oxides and CFCs. Now, the great thing is that these greenhouse gases are really important. If you took them all out of the atmosphere, temperature of the Earth would drop by about 35 degrees Celsius. So that would mean an English summer would be minus 15 degrees and an English winter would be minus 35. Mm. So greenhouse gases are good. They keep the planet nice and warm and keep it good for life. But what we've been doing since the Industrial Revolution is pumping more CO2 and methane into the atmosphere, which has then increased this blanket effect and is warming the planet by about one degrees since the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. And that may not sound a lot to people, but it is a big deal when you think about one degree in terms of the planet. So if you think of us as a planet, Mm. and if we go back, say, 20,000 years when we had an ice age, that was only a cooling globally of five degrees. Yeah. So that gives you some scaling. So one degree warming is actually quite serious, particularly as it changes in different regions. So the Arctic has an amplification, so that is more like two degrees. Mm. And so therefore there are particular areas that are very vulnerable to even small changes in temperature. I mean, what are the, in terms of the economic sectors, what's more responsible for greenhouse gases involved with global warming? Wh- which area would it be? Because the UN, I think, has said that 30% is food and agriculture. So if we look at all of our emissions, about 80% come from our industrial lifestyle. So that is energy production, that is cars, that's transport. And about 20% comes from deforestation and major land use changes. Mm. And out of all of that, if you separate out agriculture, agriculture comes out at about 13%. It's the second largest um, uh, producer of greenhouse gases after the energy sector. Mm. So it's a really important sector. But something that people don't know is for every tonne of CO2 we put in the atmosphere... Half of that is reabsorbed by the Earth. A quarter goes into uh, the oceans and a quarter goes into the biosphere. So we've been very lucky up to now. So the atmosphere only reflects half our pollution. And the problem is that scientists are worried that the oceans and the biosphere are not going to be able to absorb as much in the future because of effects of warming and deforestation. Gosh, no. So it's impacting our oceans just as much as on land. It's affecting everywhere we can't see with our eyes effectively. So climate change has a effect which, which we can't see because the problem is that most of us, we really don't care about the average temperature. If mm. the summer is on average one degree warmer, we're actually not going to notice. But it's the extreme events. It's when things start to push beyond what we are capable of coping with. That's when we have problems. Is that why we've had um, more droughts and things like, you know, the heat waves that we had a big heat wave in the UK last year that was unprecedented. It lasted for so long. Whilst it was wonderful, everyone enjoyed the sun. Is it a knock on effect of global warming? So the interesting thing is in the UK, we can clearly see the effects of climate change. Mm. So nowadays, uh, our summers are hot and dry and our winters are warm and wet, which Mm. sounds very strange because um, I'm now so old that when I was a kid, the wettest month, just by a little bit, uh, was August. Now, that's completely gone out of the window because we now have this much stronger seasonality. 
but people will also realize that it's getting more variable. And the mm. problem is, because of the retreat of the sea ice above uh, Norway and the Scandinavian countries, we can get short sharp shocks of cold air coming down from the Arctic, literally from Siberia to the East Coast. So the beast from the East is a classic example of three or four incredibly cold days, and then it all goes away. Yeah. Now, people then go, oh, it was really cold this winter. No, the average was warm and wet, but we had these short, sharp cold shocks. And in summers, we have these short, sharp heat waves. So, yes. for example, 2003... 2013 and 14 and also then uh, 2018. Gosh it actually makes a lot of sense when you when you put it quite clearly like that but it's also very worrying and what about change in rain patterns and does this affect the farming that we have as well? If we look at rainfall patterns around the world this is one of the most worrying things uh-huh. because if you shift a climate zone, say the monsoons, mm. just by one degree, okay? Mm. Now, in terms of the globe, moving the monsoons north or south, very little effect. Mm. That could mean missing out a whole country. Yeah. And so, therefore, because we are very static where we live, you could suddenly realize that a monsoon won't actually occur in a particular region or country uh, for many years. And so, it's those social thresholds, where we produce food and how we produce food, that are actually really worrying. So we've got a lot of changes that I think we're going to have to adapt to. I mean, I was really, really interested from watching, obviously, documentaries you're very heavily involved in as well, which has been so insightful and very emotive. I feel it really touches you when you see the effect it has on different animals and species. But aren't some major species becoming extinct now because of the effect of, you know, snow and ice melting? And in the UK, we don't seem to be aware of it because we live in a very different climate. For me, the most important thing is not necessarily climate change, but the whole of the human impact on the planet. Mm. And I think that's where we're starting to move to. Yes, climate change is really important. We need to deal with it. But the environmental degradation and the changes and the pollution that we're causing around the world as well are really important. So one of the stats that I give to people to realize the wholesale shift in the biosphere is if you take the weight of land mammals, okay, just the weight of them, 30% of that weight is humans. There's 7.6 billion of us, and therefore we weigh quite a lot. But 67% of all mammals are our livestock and our pets. And David Attenborough and all the other people running around filming our natural environment are filming just 3% of all mammals on this planet. Now, this has occurred not because of climate change. This is because of agriculture, our land use, deforestation, and just the amount of area we take up. So humans use about 25% of all the land surface on the planet, and that includes Antarctica in that calculation, for our produce. We use it for uh, living, we use it for actually uh, producing wood, we use it for producing food. It's an immense area, so a quarter of all the land on the planet is used for just us. Gosh, and even if some of that land disappears, I mean, isn't there a stat that the Maldives is going to vanish in in a certain space of time as well? So with sea level rise, which has already occurred, so there's about 22 to 24 centimetres of sea level rise. We also know that that could grow to half to a full metre by the end of this century. Now, 
that will have an effect both on low-lying island states like the Maldives mm. and Tuvalu, but also have an effect on most of our major capital cities because mm. most cities are situated on rivers. By the coast, because we are a trading species, we have developed our global economy by shifting goods and、yeah. people between different cities.、Mm-hmm. And so here, this is where we're most vulnerable. However, I have to say, in London, the interesting thing is it doesn't matter what the politicians say; the Environment Agency have plans to protect London up to a four meter. Rise in sea level.、Oh. So civil servants behind the scenes are quite happily trying to protect the nation from the worst effects of climate change. Wow, I had no idea. Well, that's one very, very interesting. It's almost like they should make some kind of、um, TV series on that, undercover behind what we're actually doing.、Um, does that exist? Have <laughs> I just said something they haven't done yet? No, I have to say,、yeah. um, channel.、Uh, no, it's ITV made、uh, a documentary or a docu drama、yeah. a few years ago about the flooding of、okay. London, and they called it really excitingly, flood. <laughs> Now, I may have seen let, that. Let me, let me just think. Just think if Channel Four had got hold of that mm, title, would we? Yeah, it would have、yeah. been a little bit more exciting、yeah. than that.、So、Probably、yeah. would have been. On the subject of water, we know that the oceans are warming, as we said, but this is having an effect on marine life. So, can we talk more about this in terms of coral reefs dying, as well as the obviously animals down there? So there are two major changes in the ocean. The first one is, of course, the water is warming up. Yeah.、Um, you put more heat in the system. The oceans are a big reserve. They are slowly heating up,、mm. and that's causing problems, particularly for、uh, coral reefs, because they can't move. So other animals can migrate into cooler waters or into different areas, but corals are fixed. And the problem is not the average temperature. It's when you have these spikes, when you have these really high temperatures, like a heat wave in the ocean, and what happens is、uh, the corals get stressed. They throw out all their algae,、um, and therefore they're bleached, and that's why they go this white colour. But of course, once they've done that, they don't have the algae to photosynthesise. They don't have that symbiotic relationship, and therefore they die. And we're seeing this happening in large areas around the world. It's not helped by effluence、uh, from farming actually being、uh, washed into the ocean, which also helps to kill the coral. So basically, they've got two whammies, which is our pollution into coastal waters at the same time as having high stress during really warm periods. Second effect、mm. is, of course, when you put more CO two in the atmosphere, more will dissolve in the surface ocean. Yeah, and CO two, if you dissolve it in water, forms a really <gasps> weak acid. Acidic, yeah. This is why acid rain you get sort of uh,、mm. changes uh, uh, in limestone buildings. Yeah. Now the key thing here is that. The changes are very small, so it's only a small change. It's about twenty-five percent change in the acidity of the ocean, but unlike humans and people that are、uh, organisms that live on the land, the oceans, I would say, pH is so balanced for so many millions and millions of years, the organisms haven't actually adapted. No. Whereas you and I can spill a bit of bleach or、yeah. a bit of acid on us, go out, 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 wash it off, and、yeah. we're fine. Yeah. And if you think about it, one of the major producers of the major animal groups in the oceans are,、mm. of course,、um, the small single-celled protozoa that live in the surface ocean yes, that、yeah. make calcite shells.、Yeah. Of course, 
it's harder to make calcium carbonate shells when it's slightly more acidic. So we're worried about breaking down in the food chain. So at the moment, it's not having a major effect, but as CO2 ramps up, and it gets more dissolved in the ocean, then we are worried about ocean acidification. Ooh, yeah. I have to say, colleagues of mine have named it uh, climate change's evil twin. Oh, gosh. Crikey. I mean, I, there's one um, particular program I remember watching, and there was a beautiful song that was created for the death of the um, the corals called Chasing or Ice Cream Colour. That was it. And it really touched me. It, re- it made me cry because it's the thought of the coral dying and losing all its colour, as you said, being bleached. And literally, it's like coral screaming as it dies. And it was a really powerful, emotive song. But if you think about it, we are killing off an entire, yeah, the entire ocean via climate change. But I would also argue that there are a large number of programmes whereby people are regrowing coral reefs they Ah. are putting uh concrete blocks or breeze blocks down and starting to seed them and so i think it's that balancing act whereby Mm. if we want to we can actually protect the natural environment we can have uh, marine protected areas we can regrow coral the problem is do we have the economics do we have the social engagement do we have enough how how is your political will, mm. particularly when there are so many poor people in the world mm. who rely on their local environment for their food and all their resources? Mm. It's very difficult for us then to preach them. So please don't do that. Um, yeah. Yes, I know you're starving, but we really want you to protect those pretty things. Yeah. So we have to actually yeah. have win-win solutions in the we future, do. which actually protects people's livelihoods, yep. their rights to food and a good life at the same time as protecting the environment. And that's what we need to unpick in the 21st it's century. It's good to have the bigger picture. And I was watching one of your talks on YouTube when you mentioned that the Industrial Revolution, well, since then, we've cut down three trillion, trillion trees, which is a around half the trees on the earth and that's obviously because of people's livelihoods as well and our infrastructures what impact has that had so the whole deforestation effect has been huge because it affects the local environment yeah so a good so i'm going to give you a good news story okay I like good so news in story. the early 1990s china realized that in the western side of the country huge deforestation had occurred and because of the lowest plateau which is the foothills of the Himalayas is all made up of dust that's really rich except if you remove the soil due to erosion uh, you start to actually get a massive dust bowl a bit like the 1930s in the US and so they realized that there was a problem they talked to their scientists and the scientists said well you've cut all the trees down yeah so in the wonderful Chinese way they went and said okay In the Western provinces, we will now pay farmers to go and plant trees. And it's something like 100 million hectares that they've replanted with forests. And the key thing is, one, it stabilizes the soil. Yeah. It also, interestingly, because of the transpiration of the trees and all that moisture in the atmosphere, stabilizes the rainfall. So it changes the whole regional climate and makes it much more amenable. And therefore, agriculture production has jumped back up. And therefore, um, it's a win-win. We have the forests and the trees. We have the agriculture. And that harmony has been there. They also, very interestingly, used it as a social tool because China had an issue, which is the eastern side of the country is a lot richer 
than the western side. So by paying peasant farmers to actually plant trees, they were able to legitimately move cash from the east to the west yeah. to try and rebalance some of the inequality in the country. Yeah. And it's again, these are the win-win solutions we need. This yeah. is a social plan. Yes. It also helped the environment. And those are the win-wins that we need. Oh, we need so many win-wins. That's what I want to leave this podcast today, having in my head all the win-wins. And you've mentioned China, and obviously they're one of the biggest populations on the planet. But we do have a stat that the population is rising and is expected to reach 9.8 billion by 2050. And that's according to the UN. Are we going to have too many people on the planet? So the issue is not how many people, Mm -hmm. but how much we consume. Yeah. So the interesting thing is that the World Food Agency, uh, sorry, the World Food Program Mm. tells us that we have enough food now to feed 10 billion people. Right. So we have enough food in the world to feed everybody that's going to be here by 2050. Yeah. However, there are 820 million people that go to bed feeling hungry every night in the world. And let's forget, that's just lack of calories. Forget nutrition. Yeah. That's just lack of calories. And that's up by about 20 million on five years ago. So we have enough food in the world. But we have people who are hungry and starving Mm. because food access and food security is not about food. It's about money and the ability to buy food. And so therefore, we have a system that's skewed. And therefore, when people go, can we feed everybody? Uh, Yes, we have enough food now. It's just in the wrong places. And a lot of us are overeating anyway, and could do with actually cutting our our calorie intake by half. You know, so again, it's we've got a skewed system that isn't actually working for the planet. And therefore, we're overproducing and not actually shifting that to the places that need it. Yeah, we do. We have two complete extremes, the malnourishment and the overnourishment in different societies. It's it's one of those big, big debating talking points, which I think we'd have a whole episode on, actually, aside from that. But on, on another positive note, let's talk about some potential solutions. So given that we know that fossil fuels are responsible for much of the damage, like we've said earlier, what are your thoughts on renewable energy? So I remember being in primary school, and at least they were talking about it back then. I'm not going to, I think most of you probably know how old I am on this podcast if you follow me on social media. But when I was about six or seven, I remember looking at um, wind turbines and is it tidal power back then with the waves. How are we and where are we at with renewable energy? So renewable energy is incredibly efficient and the technology has come on leaps and bounds. Great. So I'll give you an example. When I started to talk about climate change and worry about how we were going to uh, power the world, um, solar panels were about 11% efficient. Mm. Let's put that in context. Um, trees, when they convert uh, sunlight to energy, are 1% efficient. Okay, So 11% already sounds good. We're now up to 21% efficiency of converting solar energy directly into electricity. Wow. So the technology is moving forward. We also know on a level playing field that renewable energy is actually cheaper than fossil fuels. Yeah. The big problem with fossil fuels is the subsidies. So the International Monetary Fund has estimated that fossil fuel subsidies are between one and two trillion (sighs) dollars per year. And that's about the same as the GDP of the United Kingdom, the fifth 
richest country in the world.、Whoa. And the key thing there is, it's not a failure of capitalism. It is not BP. It's not Shell that are the problem. If you look at the biggest twenty-five fossil fuel companies in the world, nineteen of them are state-owned. Are partly state-owned, so these are Chinese fossil fuel companies. There are Saudi oil, etc., and they're basically getting huge subsidies, tax breaks、uh, from their governments to make sure they keep the petrochemical dollar flowing into their country.、Okay. So it's not a failure of capitalism we have with climate change now. It's a failure of the nation states and how do we control countries and actually enforce a change so they move away from this. Reliance on fossil fuels, because again, all the technology is there to replace it. In this country, we could quite happily replace almost all our energy with、uh, renewables. So, a stat for today is: we have now gone two weeks without any coal electricity being produced. So、wow. we can do it.、Yeah. It's just then pushing the incentives. Yeah. There's also win-win solutions. Okay. So again. Why in this country would you want to be beholden to、um, Saudi oil or natural gas from Russia or from Qatar? Why don't we actually think about energy security, making sure our energy is safe? We have our own oil if we need it from the North Sea, so we can be completely self-reliant and therefore have energy security. Energy security, tick, win, save the planet. Oh, it does it as well. Tick, win-win again, win-win solutions. Oh, I'm so inspired. That's really picked up my entire mood for this episode. <laughs> And in my kind of area, then, with food sustainability, there must be something that we can do, like eating seasonally. I mean, do you have advice about that? Obviously, in your book as well, the Human Planet. Do you discuss food sustainability? So something that individuals can do is、uh, shift from a normal UK or British diet. If you shift to a vegetarian diet, you half the carbon emissions from your diet. Okay,、mm. which is fantastic. Now, if you can go even further and shift to a vegan, then you reduce it to a third of the emissions. Okay. Now, if you imagine the whole of this country could just shift to being vegetarian, that would be a huge change in our diet.、Mm. It would also change some of the dynamics because some of the meat production has huge implications for deforestation around、yes. the world, and we could see that shift. We also know, and the doctors love climate change because, of course, we know that that shift would change people's health. Well, their saturated fat intake、oh, goes down. The, yeah,、uh, the、uh, overproduced meat.、Yep. You know, all of that.、Mm -hmm. If we shifted to a more vegetarian diet in this country.、Mm -hmm. And the interesting thing is, it's win-win. Yeah. Because of course, you make people healthier. Yeah. You save a huge amount in the national health service. Yeah. Because in this country, like most normal countries, the biggest expenditure is on human health. So here we spend about ten percent of GDP on health. Absolutely right. But guess what? You could save so much money if people had a more healthy diet,、mm. even if you enforce it by, say, taxing、yeah. sort of、uh, meat. I think meat will be taxed. I I think it has to be, particularly I think overproduced and over、um, mm. uh, highly processed meat. Highly processed meat. I think if you change that, 
and you uh, shift uh, onto a sugar tax, you can then shift everybody's diet. Well, after the research that came out, so we're in 2019 now, in January with the Eat Lancet, that did raise big awareness about the planetary plate, I think it was called. So I think one of the problems to approaching this dietary aspect is a very all or nothing. So some people will have the, the attitude of, I'm not giving up meat. So one of the suggestions would be, well, let's try a plant-based diet, which just means reduce your intake. Start with meat-free Mondays, if you're listening. Just start with just cutting down slowly, and you won't notice it. It's if I think there's an extreme sudden, just give it up overnight, people may reject reject that kind of concept. But I agree with you completely that if we were all to make dietary changes, wow, what a difference can we make? Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I also think it's about making the choices there. Yeah. So one of the biggest shifts in this country has occurred with nobody actually noticing. Light bulbs. Ah. You cannot get old-fashioned light bulbs. They've been banned. Yeah. So when you go in, you have a choice between good light bulb lasting two years, really good light bulb that's going to last five years, but they're all low energy, low carbon, and therefore you can stick them in and you're doing the right thing without knowing it. I had no idea. If you change... Exactly. Yeah. But you haven't felt that you've been taken the choice away or you've been violated by the government. No. So therefore, you could do this with food. Yes. Same with cars. If you want to shift to electric cars, you just make sure that electric cars are cheaper than the petrol one. Mm. Now, of course, if you're a petrol head and you want your fantastic BMW... Brilliant. I'll have my electric car and trust me, I will beat you in any drag race because the talk <laughs> on an electric uh, car is so much greater. Is that and, the Tesla kind of thing that they talk oh, yes. about? I and don't know cars, by the yes, way. So, so any, any electric car, because the... So lots of uh, high-performance cars uh-huh. now 
are hybrids. So you have an electric yes. engine to get from 0 to 60 as fast as possible. So there's a McLaren's and there's a Porsche, yeah. which can do about 2.2, 2.3 seconds to get to uh, 60 miles an hour. Ah. Above 60, you sort of need the petrol energy to actually get yeah, you up yeah. to 200, 220 miles an hour. So the interesting thing is that if you're a petrol head, fine, I'm going to have my electric car and I'll beat you off the lights every <laughs> single time. So again, it's changing those perception. Mm, mm. And again, if you make it for households, that yes. it is cheaper to have an electric car. Yes. I mean, for me in London, one of the suggestions I have is why aren't we switching to electric vehicles? Yeah. Because it's again, win-win. Well, we also we did a pollution episode on oh, this absolutely. podcast and the pollution from your normal kind of fueled cars yeah. is, is huge. So I would start off with the public health message, which yeah. is we're switching to electric vehicles to protect the air, to mm. make sure there's not air pollution, to make sure uh, more children don't die of asthma attacks and make sure that we're all healthy. Yep. Oh, and by the way, it sort of saves the planet as well. Yeah. And you can do it in stages. So the first thing I would do is mandate that in a year in London, all Ubers and taxis have to actually be either electric or hybrid, mm. otherwise they won't be licensed. Yeah. They then cause a clamour which says, well, hang on, there's not enough charging points. That drives innovation where the, uh, the they have charging points them. come. Yeah. You then have all the service industries. You say, I'm sorry, if you've got a white van, if you want to come into London, mm. it's got to be electric or hybrid. And you then ramp that up. And by the time it gets to the normal person, everybody's going well, I really don't want this diesel because they told me it was good and yeah. they lied. Now I want an electric <laughs> one. And again, it's just that. But again, you have to make these big jumps. Yeah. Everybody assumed that sort of uh, the congestion zone charge in London would be the end of Western civilization. And it really wasn't. I, no, no, it wasn't. Everybody the next day just went, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, just have it's to like putting seatbelts in. Yes. For yes. our generation, the yeah. idea of having cars without seatbelts is like, Unheard what? Of. You're going to shoot yourself? What, what are you doing? Yeah. But again, there was this huge clamour when it came in going, this is, yeah. how dare you tell me I have to be safe and look after my own life? It's like, uh, <laughs> we can. But it's like you said, there's so many options for us in the UK. But what about other countries in the world? I mean, are there some countries, and I don't want to say this in a derogative kind of way, but are there some countries that are to blame more than others when it comes to the contribution to climate change. Ah, the China, uh, well, the China I, excuse. You yep. hear it all. Of course. So key thing is that if we look at the UK contribution at this moment in time, it's about 2% of world emissions. But if we okay. add in all the products, because remember, yeah. we've we've exported all our pollution, so China produces all our stuff, etc. And we put in all the goods and services and all the banking, comes up to about 5%. Okay, so 1 20th of the pollution is due to the British Isles. Okay, that's fine. But we then have a historic legacy because we've been doing this since the Industrial Revolution, which we invented. And therefore, we have a historic legacy of how much we've already put in the atmosphere. True. But saying that, Put that to one side. We're the fifth richest nation in the world. We are one of the most entrepreneurial, business-orientated, dynamic countries in the world. We can actually go carbon neutral whenever we want to. And therefore, what we do is we get the best brains, the best businesses together, and we develop all the policies to make sure that we go carbon neutral as soon as possible. We develop all the technology, which we then sell to other countries, um, mm. and therefore we produce lots of jobs, etc., etc. So again, win-win. Oh. We're going carbon neutral. 
everybody in the world has to go carbon neutral by 2050. If we do it first, we have all the technology, we have all the know-how, and we actually have a moral responsibility to do it, considering we invented the uh, Industrial Revolution and have been polluting for the last 150 years. So again, it's that win-win solution. The idea that us Brits can sit on our hands and go, oh, you've nothing to do with us, it's all China and America. No, I'm sorry. They are not going to lead the world in this, okay? You've Mm. seen uh, the ideas of Trump. You've seen how uh, ossified the actual uh, federal government is in the US. You've seen how China is saying, well, hang on. We're more worried about our poverty and actually developing. So it's down to us and the European Union to lead the way and actually say, this is how you do it in a democracy. And this is how we actually have win-win solutions. We make people healthier. We make people happier. We make basically the country cleaner and we save the planet. Oh, it's so uplifting. Please, can you go into politics? <laughs> I think it would be another calling for you, you know, Mark. I really do. Um, and you also spoke, obviously, we've just been discussing solutions, of course. And what about, you mentioned tax on sugar and things like food. But what about taxing countries of the highest emissions that are feeding, you know, the money back to help in those solutions, like we've just said? Is that something we can do more of? Is, is that happening? So international politics is... Difficult Mm. and complicated. I have to say one of the successes was the Paris Agreement. Yes. So we had, so the feeling we're having now, you know, with Extinction Rebellion, the school strikes, the BBC documentary. Yeah, the children that were speaking out about climate change. Oh, absolutely. Even my own daughter uh, forced me to go on the climate protest last week because she said, I'm going Uh, And I interviewed her for the conversation. And I have to say, um, more stressful interviewing my 13-year-old daughter than interviewing Al Gore, okay? Um, (laughs) It's like, I'm not sure I'm going to like these answers. Uh, The interesting thing for me there was I asked her, was it because of me? I mean, I don't take my work home because, as I've said uh, in the blog and elsewhere, uh, Daddy doesn't come home and go, uh, well, you know, the world's screwed. No. Uh, it's still screwed no. and I haven't fixed it. I'm really sorry, guys. You know, So you don't do yeah. that. Yeah. So I don't take my work home with me. So I was, But I was worried that perhaps I had sort of accidentally influenced her. Mm. No, it turns out that it's school. It's basically TV programs like the Netflix. It's all of those uh, media influences. Her thing. generation, which is talking about it constantly. And that made her sit up and go, I'm sorry, this is something that's important. And the best line in the blog is, well, and if I really, really need some information, I can always ask you. Which is like, oh, thanks, dear. (laughs) But I think they're all making big changes now. Like we're talking a lot about, I don't know, having a keep cup or, you know, kids are now really wanting to make a difference, aren't they? The future generation's quite inspired, I think. And what I find fantastic about young people is they see the world in very simplistic terms. Mm. They do not get bogged down on, oh, how's that policy going to work? They basically say, this is good, do it. And I think we need more politicians that have that idea, which is, this is the aim. If we only get 80% there, that's still 80% that we haven't done now. How do we do it? Yes. So we come... Back to, you were talking about then China, weren't you, and how... Yeah, I think people have, like you said, um, a very warped vision of the world, or we want to point blame to other people all the time. And is it all solely on these bigger nations? Because they're bigger. I think that's the misconception maybe people have. 
So for me, it's again going back to consumption. Mm. So there are huge countries, say like India, mm. but their average pollution per person is about two tons per person per year.、Mm. In the EU, we've got it down to about eight tons per person per year, whereas in the US, it's eighteen tons <gasps> per person per year. However, in California. It's eight tons per person per、mm. year. So again, even within countries, there are oddities、yeah. and clear examples of how we can use best practice. So for me, I don't think putting blame is actually the right way.、Mm. The Paris Accord is a way of actually trying to get countries to pledge changes. Now, if they did all of those. We'd be on for about three and a half to perhaps four degrees warming by the end of the century, which is way too much. If we want to actually stick to say one and a half degrees, then the whole world has to go carbon neutral by 2050, and then after that, for the rest of the century, we need to have negative emissions. That means we're sucking CO2 out of the atmosphere to try and keep the planet as cool as possible.、Okay. So the scale of the problem is absolutely immense. But you have to remember that we're incredibly inventive we are. species, and the question is, do we, as a generation, have the political power? And will to actually start us on this road because the next generation are going to be all up for it. They're going to be able to do it. It's whether we can start them on the way, or do oh, we, we have them, to say yes.、I、or do we leave really... them with an even bigger mess? I mean, that's yeah, the biggest problem.、Yeah. And again, at the moment, I'm looking around the world and I do not see politicians leading for future generations. I see them looking for their next election. I see them basically with their next of.、Uh, uh, Voice uh,、um, uh, pop for、um, yeah. the media.、Yeah. I see them sort of、uh, using fear pop, as、yes. a distraction to major issues.、Mm. And again, I'm not convinced the politician that actually comes in with positive win-win solutions. People aren't are not necessarily going to vote、mm. for. You know, fear unfortunately has a very big power. Well, it's the way the media is portrayed, isn't it? We take much more of an interest in a negative headline than a positive one.、Um, in that sense, but we actually have lots of questions from followers today as、okay. well. So Josie has said that I heard that palm. Oh, it's good we're touching on this. Palm oil is bad for the planet, but it's in so many foods. Is it really bad? So. Palm oil itself isn't bad. The problem is the way it's produced. So many areas in the world are deforested、mm. to produce palm oil because, as she quite rightly says, it is in everything. It's in soaps. It's in cleaning fluids. It's in toothpaste, food.、Mm. Um, Crisps not made in the UK because I got a wonderful. <laughs>、uh, uh, I got a wonderful email from somebody going, "No, no, no. There's no palm oil in." UK crisps.、Yeah. We have an agreement across the country.、Yeah. So there are some. There are very positive、okay. moves there.、Yeah. But the biggest problem is that it is the deforestation that、yes. occurs to plant palm oil,、mm. and there are some areas where they're actually planting on peat bogs to try and actually、uh, produce more and more because there's such demand for it. So palm oil itself is not bad. No, it's it's just the way、trees. we produce it. Yep.、Yeah, so we need to plant more. Maybe、yeah. sustainable palm oil is something people. There are is、uh, there is a whole、uh, organisation to try、mm. and make it sustainable. It's just the vast quantities that we use, and、yep. that huge—it's that supply and demand. And if it's cheaper to cut down a rainforest than convert some、uh, marginal land, then of course. 
that's skewed economics. And I think that's where we need to look at yeah. how do we change the economics of food and oh, our products. And Ron has said, do you think the government's taking climate change seriously? I mean, we've kind of touched on that a little bit. We focus on our government in the UK. So the UK government isn't at all. The good thing is that they are constrained because we were the first country in the world to have a law mandating. So this is the Climate Change Act from 2008. It mandates that we must cut our greenhouse emissions by 80% mm. by 2050. Mm. Now, the interesting thing is that might actually change. There's been a recommendation by the Climate Change Committee to change that to a zero, i.e. we reduce our emissions to zero by 2050. So the government is constrained. They don't like it, mm. but the problem is there are so many wonderful win-win things they could do mm. which would improve our lives, mm. would improve uh, sort of our uh, emissions, Yeah, but they don't do them. So it's frustrating okay. when they are well, at the moment, they're just completely focused on Brexit and who's going yeah. to be the next Prime Minister? Well, I know, and that's the thing. And we've got a lovely question from Alice who said that when I hear about the state of our planet, I feel so helpless. And I can relate to you there, Alice, because it is very, very sad. And she said, as just one girl, how can I have the most impact on saving the planet? So there's lots of things that individuals can do. Great. So I have, I have, I have my magic list Ooh, because great. people came prepared. People, yes, I come prepared <laughs> because people ask me this all the time. Yes. So depending on how old you are, yeah. If you have a pension, then you need to make sure your pension plan divests its investments from the fossil fuel industry. Okay. Oh wow. Huge effect. Okay. So if you make sure your pension isn't involved in fossil fuels. That's the first thing. If you then make sure your company or your university or whoever you work for doesn't invest in fossil fuels, that stops money going into new oil plants, new mm. oil wells and things like that. So also at home, switch to a renewable electricity provider. Okay, mm. Very easy to do. You can do that. It may cost you a little bit more. But actually, in your whole household uh, expenditure, it will be a very small change. Mm. Um Again, if you can reduce the amount of uh, time you travel in a car or yes. switch to a hybrid or an electric, yeah. if you can, absolutely fantastic. Walk more. Walk more. Oh, well, yeah, of course. That's, I just want to get that do message more sport, out there. More, more walking. More, small. Yeah, doctors <laughs> love climate change. You know, stop you getting all those uh, yes. <laughs> horrible diseases. Um, eat less meat. Mm -hmm. If you can go vegetarian, great. Mm -hmm. If you're tough enough and can go uh, vegan, absolutely yeah. brilliant. Um if you can stop flying, or if you can't because of work and things like that, can you offset the emissions? Now, many of the airlines actually allow you to offset, or your own company may do it as well. And the last two are, of course, protest mm -hmm. and vote. Right. Because, of course, if you vote for the right people yeah. to actually give you the policies to support your yeah. change then that would be fantastic. Oh, it's great. And we had huge protests a few weeks ago. Um, the sun was out, which I think was was great. So this moves me on to my favourite part of the podcast, our fact or fiction round. Oh, dear. <laughs> this is probably where I'm going to get it wrong. No, Lose no, 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 no. Lose all my no, no. credibility. <laughs> I don't think so. Don't you worry. So <laughs> as fast as you can, if you want to answer fact or fiction, okay. are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Okay. Climate change is the biggest problem on our planet currently. Fiction. If we had less kids, climate change wouldn't be a problem. Fiction. We've already started to reverse climate change. 
Fiction. If the Industrial Revolution never happened, we wouldn't have this problem. Uh, true. Oh. We consume our Earth's natural resources at a faster pace than our planet can replenish them. True. One day all energy will be renewable. Uh, true. The air we breathe is bad for us. Uh, depends where you are. Mm. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree with that one. Listen to our pollution episode, guys. Um, Western countries are to blame. Uh, true. A few degrees in temperature don't, well, doesn't make a difference. False. Our planet can be saved. True. Yes, I'm so happy with that last answer. <laughs> okay, so that was an excellent quick fire round. I thought you were sterling with that one. Um, and that nearly wraps up our episode. But as with every guest, we finish with a food for thought. So with food and agriculture combined, so not just the food production, currently accounting for around 30% of global greenhouse gases and negatively impacting various aspects of our planet, such as depleting fish stores and deforestation, there are some positive steps that we can take to reduce the impact our food consumption has on our planet whilst ensuring our nutritional needs are met sufficiently. So whilst it's not required to adopt a completely vegan lifestyle, if, if you can't, increasing the amount of plant-based foods such as a starchy whole grain or fibrous fruit, lots of vegetables in your diet, this can really be beneficial. For example, it's estimated that even if we reduce our total daily meat intake to 50 to 99 grams per person, we could see a 22% carbon footprint reduction. And as we've discussed today, it's quite clear that diet is one of the things we can all actively do and act upon now. So eating foods that are local but not in season can still be a little bit environmentally taxing. So knowing what's in season and opting for these foods when possible is really important. But I must also add to the end of that that I understand that some people are in different positions of privilege and we have to account um, for the fact that not everybody has the opportunity to get access to nutritious sources of food all year round. Therefore, please opt for frozen varieties of different fruit and berries, that sort of thing, which could be economic as well. So, Mark, if I could ask you to leave our listeners um, with one food for thought that you could share with everyone today, putting you on the spot, what would that be? So my food for thought is that collectively, we are a amazing species. We know what impact we're having on the planet and we can devise political systems and ways of actually dealing with those issues and at the same time trying to make our world a better place, a more equal place and hopefully allowing everybody to live as long and happy life as possible. We just need the political leaders to do it. Okay. Gosh, now that really quite literally is a food for thought um, that I'm going to be stewing over as well. Mark, if we could hear a little bit more about you, where where can I send people? Uh, so uh, I'm based at University College London. Um, you're very welcome to email me if you want any more information. Oh. And I have a website. And of course, I occasionally write books. So it's a the, wonderful book I've got on the table in front of me. Well, the latest book is called The Human Planet, uh, How We Cause the Anthropocene. And I wrote it with Simon Lewis. And what we do is we go through the whole of human history. So we start off with our hunter-gatherers. And we look at all the impacts as we go through through to the Industrial Revolution and beyond. And so 
it's not a case that it's just modern humans that have caused devastation on the planet. It actually has occurred throughout history and it's been accumulative. And at the end, what Simon and I do is because we realise that we're making everybody so depressed, <laughs> is that at the end we have a chapter where we start to try and talk about different ideas about mm. whether universal basic income, the idea that everybody should have access to enough money to live, is a possibility to reduce consumption. Mm. And then also the half earth idea whereby we set aside half the earth for the ecosystem services that we require for rewilding, reforestation, while we use the other half to actually maintain that population Gosh. of about 10 billion that's occurred by the middle of the century. Wow. So it's a uh, it's a rough ride, um, I have to say. There is uh, in the middle um, the disc uh, the when we uh, first uh, encountered the Americas, uh, the Europeans, um, the diseases we brought over Gosh, did wipe so out fifty six million people in a hundred years. So yeah, it's not all happy uh, in the book, <laughs> but we we try to leave it on a more positive end at the uh, at the end of but the book. But informative, and I think that's what people really need to have a read. So thank you so much, Mark, for coming on Pleasure. the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. It really is heartening to know there's such a craving to hear from expert voices in a world full of confusing advice. If you enjoyed this episode, you'll love what's coming next week. So make sure you click subscribe to be the first to hear it. And please do leave a five-star review. It really does help to get our podcast out there and hopefully help more people. So we'd really appreciate it. For more information about my Retrition Clinic books, healthy recipes, events, retreats, and so much more, please visit retrition.com, subscribe to my newsletter, and follow me at Retrition on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.